Hi, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast Season 2, and I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is a podcast dedicated to all things food, from recipe ideas to interviews with chefs, producers, purveyors, farmers, and people who just love culinary adventures like myself. So join us here on Fridays to explore the world through the lens of food, and together we can share some yummy food, some laughs, and I welcome you here at my table always. And if you're ready, let's go on a food adventure together starting right now. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is episode 33, season two. Woohoo! If you're new to the podcast, thanks for being here. If you've been here a while, what am I going to say? Don't take notes. I've taken all your notes. Go to my website for everything, elizabethrfuller.com. And while you're there, stop taking all that amazing and beautiful photography. That's what I do for a living. I'm a professional food and product photographer. I specialize in commercial, editorial, and lifestyle photography. Here I am, world. Check me out. If you need photos, I'm your gal. If you've got questions for the podcast, if you want to be on the podcast, if you need culinary sleuthing of any kind, send me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. And of course, tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at Let's Go on a Food Adventure. All right, you guys, let's do this. Let's go on a food adventure. So, post-turkey day, how's everyone feeling? Did they have a good turkey day? Are you are you recovered? I am so over Thanksgiving flavors at this point. I want nothing to do with it. This week I've been cooking. Uh definitely outside of the fall flavor profile I want absolutely nothing to do with traditional um well not traditional I shouldn't say that seasonal fall flavors right now so I'm making a huge effort to like eat even like summery vibes like salads and tacos and curries and things that you know have no butternut squash or rosemary or thyme or sage or any no mm-mm. no ma'am I am over it I'm ready to move on to new and exciting flavors in my life um I hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving were there any highlight dishes that you ate let me know anything you'd make again for next year that you like made this year that was new I was looking to uh, try new things. I definitely already told you everything I made, I think, I don't remember, last week. It was a whirlwind of a week. And um, one, I am like, love spending time with my family. It was, I had Thanksgiving on Thursday, and then I had it again, a nice little feast to celebrate more family fun on Saturday. So it was a double giving of family, food, and uh, friends, and fun, and um, it's been a nice quiet week this week, and I'm enjoying it as well. So this week, this week we're talking about snacks. I'm a snackaholic. Hi, my name is Beth, and I'm a snackaholic. I love snacks. Who doesn't love snacks? I love savory snacks. I love sweet snacks. I love sweet and spicy snacks. I love snacks, and I am 
like I like having a little snack bowl that I will put said snacks in thinking it's portion control. And then I will continue to go back to the kitchen to refill snack bowl. Um, I'm not even one to share my snack bowl. Like if I fill my snack bowl up and then Todd is like sitting on the couch next to me and he's being a creeper and being like, mm, I think I want a bite of that chip. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. This is my snack bowl. These snacks were portioned out uh, for my first snacking portion. And then I'm going to go back for a second feeding shortly. You are not allowed to touch my snack bowl. Do I let him touch it? Yes. Do I give him a stink eye the entire time? Absolutely. If he takes more than one snack out of my snack bowl, I will say something. (laughs) See something, say something, right? Isn't that how that goes? And I will say something. So he knows now after us being together for as long as we have been and us married for as long as we have been, you don't touch my snack bowl. Mm -mm. No, no. So today we have a guest that we should get into. So let's get into it and talk about some snacks. So let me first say, before we get really going here, this is not a sponsored podcast. The company did kindly send over some of their snacks and I have been enjoying them and I can honestly say they are delicious, but this is not sponsored. So my guest today, my guest today is a snackaholic as well. She loves a good snack. She claims she's a picky eater, but I don't know. I think she's more adventurous than she is willing to admit. Her name is Marilyn Yang. She is the co-founder and CEO of Fun Gal Snacks and Papadelix, which is a delicious crunchy mushroom chip that launched earlier this April, this past April. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Marilyn Yang from Papadelix and Fun Gal Snacks. Hi, Marilyn. How are you? Hi, Beth. Great meeting you and thanks again for having me. Thanks for coming on. I'm like super excited as a fellow mushroom lover to sit here and chat about you, your background, Papadelics. There's so much to get into. Um, And before we get started, just to give the listeners a little background about who you are, where did you grow up? Where do you live now? Yeah, so I'm originally from right outside of Washington, D.C. in Northern Virginia, from Fairfax, Virginia, in case anyone is familiar with the area. Um, I've since lived in New York City for the past five, six years, I guess it is now. Um, So yeah, currently based out of New York City. Awesome. So you're almost, you can almost consider yourself a New Yorker. I I don't know how many years it is. Technically, what is it, like 10 years? Once you've lived in New York for at least 10 years, you can consider yourself a New Yorker. 20 years I don't know but yeah, I think you're that's a great question I guess the people who have been here all their lives would say that none of us are New Yorkers but <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I feel like after you've lived in New York for even more than a year and like you're willing to stay then you are a diehard New Yorker because New York is a city that you love it or you hate it there's no it's a tough city to live in if you're not it's funny because I have a good friend um she posted the perfect I think Instagram story about New York um it was like a pile of trash on her sidewalk outside of her apartment yeah. and she was like it may be trash but it's our trash so. <laughs> it's so true the rats may look like house cats but there are rats there are like, rats in the New right? York rats yeah. And they, they are tough rats. I've watched rats wrestle for slices of pizza and like literally like pull out little rat punchy gloves and like start like boxing each other for the, for the slice. Like they're, they're no, they're no joke. It's no joke. Yeah. Watch no. out of the subway. <laughs> don't, don't have open food containers out there. 
Oh, so gross. I lived in Boston for a long time and um, similar to New York, but not, you know, like Boston's such a tamed down version of New York. But um, I remember the first time I saw a Boston rat and I like looked and I did a double take and I'm like, oh my God, is that a, what is a cat doing in the subway right now? And then I was like, oh my God, that's not a cat. That, that is a fucking rat. Like that is a massive rat. They're just so huge. Stay away at that point, run in the other direction. Oh my God, I know, I know. And they always scare you like when you're either drunk or like you just woken up and like you're there super early, like 6 a.m. And you're just like, oh God, I don't want to deal with this right now. Um, okay, so back to you. Not We're not talking about cities. We're talking about you. So now I want to know, what did you do before you started Fun Gal Snacks? Yeah, so I'm actually kind of still in a bunch of other things, but I I guess I began my professional career working mostly in finance. Um, so spent a bit of time in investment banking. I've been in private equity for a while as well. Um, I didn't necessarily invest in CBG companies, though, so kind of more industrial type companies. A good amount of actually food manufacturing companies. So I guess maybe broadly that helped a little bit. But yeah, I definitely wasn't in the CPG world before I kind of dove straight in. And for people who don't know, what is the acronym CBG stand for? Consumer packaged goods. So it's yeah. kind of everything from kind of snack products to beauty products, anything that you can find packaged and off the shelf. Yep. I mean, I'm a Shark Tank watcher. I'm sure you watch Shark Tank. So I know some of the lingo, but for those people who don't, I just and now they're educated and I love it. So yeah, it's kind of funny because like you, I think when you're in an industry, you kind of forget what's an acronym that most like yeah. the normal person doesn't know. You almost forget what people don't know or know. Right, totally, so. totally. Um, so how does one go from finance to and like investments and all of that? You probably portfolio all of that good stuff to wanting to develop a snack company. Well, I've always had kind of an entrepreneurial itch. I was kind of one of those kids who was always trying to, you know, pawn stuff off to my relatives, running lemonade stands. I actually ran an eBay business back in high school, uh, kind of like a, it was almost like a Poshmark kind of situation. Oh, cool. I would buy and sell clothes, basically, designer clothes at Ooh. like, you know, markups, basically. I would I would go to outlet shopping because I, I like shopping for fun, and buy yeah. good deals and I'd flip it. Okay, so, wait, I kind of so wait, what was your bet? Hold on. I got an, I, yeah, an, I, sure. as a, I love getting expensive shit for like really good deals. Oh, same. It's, okay. it's a rush. It's such a rush. And I don't even care if I never wear it. As long as same. I can talk about the deal that I got, it's, it's even better than it fitting me. What was your best deal on a, something you bought and what was it? I'm thinking, um, I think it might've been a pair. Do you know the brand Acme? Sure. It's like a Swedish a high-end like jeans brand i think i got a pair of their jeans for only like 10 or 20 bucks and their jeans are like 500 bucks i was just gonna say yeah they're like yeah, depending on i think i might have also gotten it off of ebay but wow. i remember i got them but then they didn't fit me properly and i think that might have even been what started that business at the time because i was like this is just too good of a deal and so i, I think i might have sold them for only like 50 bucks but i still made like a 30 buck margin oh so, my god good yeah. for you i was in uh, Florence, Italy. And I was, they have a, some great secondhand stores. And I went into one and I found some Prada um, flats that had fallen off the back of a truck kind of deal. And uh, they were a hundred euros, never been worn, brand new, still being sold in the Prada store. And I was like, mm, these oh, are mine. Wow. Yeah, but they were white. And so like white leather shoes aren't gonna, and flats are not, and they were pointy toe. It's not really my style, but I was like, for a hundred euro, these are coming home with me. So then I went into the Prada store 
and I was wearing them. And I said, I'm from America. I totally forgot the dust bags for these at home. I just don't want to get them ruined. Could I, do you have any I could buy? And they're like, oh, we'll give you some, we'll give you some. And they gave me free Prada silk dust bags for the shoes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Your girl, I'm with you. I'm I'm with you. I love a good deal on high-end stuff. That's like really good deal. Oh, I love it. Okay. Anyway, sorry. So you eBay store, keep going. please. Yeah. So basically I was, I guess my point there was I've always been a huge, uh, I guess, entrepreneurial spirit. So I've always had that in me. I've always wanted to run stuff. Um, and that never went away. So even when I went into other businesses and, you know, professional careers and whatnot, always had that in the back of my head. I actually also graduated a semester early from college to work at a fashion startup for a little bit. Oh, and that was, wow. I already had my banking job lined up, but it was just kind of almost like a gap semester, I guess. Um, and it was really, again, to kind of itch that entrepreneurial desire that I had at the time. And so basically always had in the back of my head throughout kind of my professional career and finance and all of the other stuff I've been doing to start a business. I think the big thing is that I never had the right idea. And actually now it might be a good time to bring up two. I did co-found the business with my partner in both business and in life, uh, Mike Casali. He's also from finance, actually. Uh, but the both of us, kind of similar story. We were from finance, but always wanted to start a business or had an entrepreneurial desire. And so even before we started Fungal Snacks and Papadelics, we would bounce around business ideas all the time. I, I, I can't remember, I guess, like how many business ideas we floated, but it wasn't something like overnight that we were like, oh yeah, like mushroom chips. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was kind of like for a long time, we were talking about, a business, any business, and we just never found an idea that we wanted to take and run with. And Papadelics was that idea, I guess, that we ultimately chose to run with. And happy to go into the story of how that happened, but we like to joke that it was our COVID baby. Oh, I love it. I love it. No, I want to hear the story about how that happened. But before you start about that, I need to, I know in your bio, you said both like no holds bars, I'm a picky eater, or you grew up a picky eater. I would define most picky eaters not liking mushrooms. So I'm like, as a picky eater, what were you, what were the things that you loved and hated with food? And then why mushrooms? It was one of those, I was a weird kid. So basically I think a good example I like to give is I used to love ordering Supreme pizza, but I didn't really like the pizza itself, but I liked the toppings specifically when they were on pizza. I don't know if that makes any sense. Sure. And so I would get a Supreme pizza and only pick off the mushrooms and really obviously on a supreme pizza there's all sorts of other toppings too but i like the specific taste of mushrooms when they were on a supreme pizza or maybe i just like the mushrooms that pizza hut used or whatever and so that's a good example of like the i guess my strain of pickiness and there would be a lot of weird other things too like i i would eat you know some types of spinach but not others it it was pretty weird I, i think i'm more open to more things now than i was as a kid but as a kid mushrooms were probably one of the only things that I reliably would eat wow. consistently. And so I, I think funny enough, my parents knew I would like mushrooms. And so they just started putting mushrooms in everything. And I always liked mushrooms. So I would just have pasta with just mushrooms in it. And so, um, or just like mushroom soup or whatever. And so I feel like my, for a while in my life growing up, mushrooms were a big part of my diet. And actually it's, so much so, I guess, a part of almost like my personality that when I did start Papadelics, none of my friends were shocked. They were just like, actually, I distinctly remember one of my friends said, 
Marilyn, that is so on brand for you. So that's how much <laughs> mushrooms are associated with me. And so all my friends, whenever they, like in general, even before Papadelics, they were always kind of associating me with mushrooms. Oh funny my enough. God, so yeah. funny. Okay, so tell me about the story about how Papadelics got started, your COVID baby. Yeah, so basically, like I said, it, uh, you know, Mike and I had been talking for years about a business, just never settled on the right idea. And how it came about is we are, of course, based in New York City. We were stuck in a small apartment. We're both huge foodies. And actually, interestingly, we are both huge mushroom lovers. And I always joke, too, that we knew it was meant to be because on one of our early dates, actually, I think we really bonded over the fact that we were both mushroom people. It's kind of a thing. And so because you don't meet that many people who are that into mushrooms. No. So. Um, yeah, it makes so much sense in retrospect, funny enough. But anyway, we're both huge foodies. We both like mushrooms. And during COVID, unfortunately, you couldn't go to restaurants. And so the kind of the only real alternative at the time was going to the grocery store. And so we started getting more adventurous with kind of exploring what was out there, started eating some cauliflower chips and beet chips and some chickpea snacks. And it came up very organically one day because we had nothing better to talk about at the time that, you know, hey, if they're making chips out of cauliflower and beets and chickpeas, they better be making chips out of mushrooms by now. Or we, we just thought that there would be something that existed already because it didn't seem like that far-fetched of an idea. Uh, maybe we just hadn't seen it yet or whatever. And so that kind of drove us at the time as consumers to, you know, go online and see if we could find anything. We quickly found that the stuff that was out there was unbranded, unflavored, and unexciting, yeah. which we were kind of like surprised about because there's a good amount of mushroom jerkies out there. There's some pretty good ones actually, but we didn't think mushroom chips were that big of a jump from that. So we were kind of surprised and that kind of got the creative juices flowing. And so we started doing even more research into, you know, is it true? Is there, is there really nothing out there? And then we're big mushroom lovers. So we, you know, we've always liked mushrooms. So in our minds, it's like, it's about time people caught up. But yeah. the more and more we looked into it, the more we saw that it seemed you know, from third party data and, you know, just general stuff that we were seeing online and whatnot, that people are more than ever interested in mushrooms today. And you can see that from some of the Google search data, like the SEO data, search engine optimization data. So uh, basically that essentially search, people searching mushrooms is at the highest point today that it's ever been in the history of at least Google. And so, wow. Uh, with, you know, we started seeing mushroom coffees and mushroom teas everywhere. I'm uh -huh. sure part of this is because we were, once we were thinking about it, we started seeing it everywhere. But all the signs pointed to that this being really good timing for something like this, on top of there not already being kind of a modern, edgy, cool brand that was centered around mushrooms. It kind of, all the things and all the stars aligned that this was kind of the idea we were waiting for. Um, and also, I guess it helped that we were kind of bored and didn't have much else going on socially during COVID. And so it felt like really good time personally to be starting a business or having the time to dedicate to yeah. it anyway. Uh, so all the things aligned to where we were like, okay, let's do it. This is, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. So did you start like doing prototype testing in your home kitchen or did you go straight to an expert <clears throat> and throw some money at the problem kind of thing? Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. So we knew we weren't chefs. We do not cook. So yeah. we, we knew what we wanted. I mean, we, we like eating, but we are not chefs or professionally trained food people at all. So we knew we would need help actually developing the product. We had a good idea of what we wanted it to taste like and look like and all the flavors and all of that, but we didn't really know the first thing how to start. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a series of almost like lucky breaks. It was kind of the whole five degrees of separation kind of thing. So 
coming from the investment world, I do a lot of personal angel investing as well. And there was actually, I think it was even before COVID that I met this woman, but there was a, another female founder that I've been speaking to about potentially investing in her smoothie startup. It was like a smoothie mix startup. And she was kind of one of the first people I thought to call up when we were like, okay, yeah, let's start a food company. And so I figured she would know, even though smoothies are different than snacks, I figured she would know something about, yeah. you know, developing a product and whatever. And she actually had uh, this one consulting firm that whose founder was actually on her company's board that ultimately we use that company to help develop our product. So she was able to introduce us and it was Rodeo CPG. Oh, cool. They're a basically a consulting firm for food start startups by food entrepreneurs. So almost everyone at the consulting firm came from a food startup type of role or they started their own business or worked at a food startup or whatever. And um, they have a bunch of different lines of business now, but at the time they had, they were just building out their R and D arm. And so they basically had a kind of a team of people whose kind of job it was to consult with brands to help develop new products. And so it was a really, again, really one of those kind of friend of a friend of a friend kind of situations. We were, they were actually probably the first people we even maybe spoke to. We did ultimately speak to other, because there's a good amount of kind of R&D consultants out there. Mm -hmm. We did kind of do our diligence to speak to a few others, but we did ultimately go with Rodeo and uh, we definitely wouldn't have done it, I think, at least as quickly as we we ended up doing without their help, just since I think they helped us kind of jump forward very quickly because once we told them what our idea for the product was, they were kind of, I think it only took us maybe like three months to actually settle on what the final product ended up becoming. Wow. So from the moment of conception and then you start talking to these people, to the moment of tasting that first mushroom chip, how long was that? Yeah, so I guess it would have been, I guess we're talking about formally. So I guess it was July of 2020 that we formally incorporated. So we filed all the legal paperwork yep. to actually be a company. I think we tasted our first products by, I think, October or November. That's really fast. Yeah, because, but again, I think it was because of the help of Rodeo. So we started working with Rodeo, I think, in late August early September mm -hmm. and it was like a three month based yeah. engagement. So they, it was, you know, they, they work pretty quickly too, since they kind of have a system and sure. when we, we told them up front what we were looking for and they said, yeah, that doesn't seem too hard. Um, so I think the first prototypes we did start testing, I would think in late October, kind of like about a month or two and in, into the engagement. Wow. Okay. And so then from there until you got that very first bag in your hand, how long was that? So in terms of an actual production bag, so that mm -hmm. you can now buy and sell, it wasn't until April of this year, so April of 2022. That's still and, good. Like that, that's still a pretty fast timeline in the grand scheme yeah. of product development. Yeah, for sure. And I think in the grand scheme of COVID too, you know, yeah. if you think about it, we were setting up our manufacturing and supply chain in the very depths of COVID. So all yeah. through kind of late 2020, early 2021. Definitely a lot of places were having labor issues and mm -hmm. macroeconomic issues on top of the COVID issues. So I, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think in, at the time, it was funny. At the time, we felt like things were moving so slowly. Sure. But now looking back on it, yeah, I mean, I think even in non-COVID times, that would have been relatively fast. Absolutely. Because there's so much that goes into building the product, not just eating it. I mean, the marketing, the packaging, the look, the feel, the texture of the bag, then finding the right co-packers the right packers i mean there's 
there is a lot that goes into a little bag that we just haphazardly open and indulge in. Um, and it's so nice for a consumer to hear how much love and attention and hands that touch this beautiful product. You know, I think it's important. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it took basically two, yeah, one and a half, two years for us to first feel like, okay, we're starting a company to here you go. And now you can buy our product. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty crazy to think about, I guess, the time it takes for even like this, what you think is the simplest things. Yeah. Oh my God. I know. Now for the listeners who have never tried Papadelics, what, uh, what does it taste like? What's the texture? Yeah. So these are shiitake mushroom chips. So think of a shiitake mushroom, but made into essentially like a pretzel like, or mm. truly like a potato chip like texture. So it's kind of like how we describe how we like to describe it so it's a very crispy crunchy basically the opposite funny enough of what you would typically think of a mushroom being yeah and then um what are the the flavors that you have right now yeah so we got three flavors and they i think we were very deliberate in having three flavors that were very different from each other so there's kind of we like to say there's there's something for everyone i mean by design we like all three of them and our number one goal was to have flavors that we personally really enjoyed. Um, but again, there, you know, you can have all three. We have some people like only one or whatever. But anyway, our our most entry level, or I would say, I wouldn't say it's plain, but it's probably the plainest in comparison. It's kind mm. of more of an everyday flavor. It's called Rad Rosemary and Salt. It was inspired mm. actually by Italian stuffed mushrooms. And so kind of a Italian herb kind of vibe going on. Uh, nothing too strong. So again, this is a very good like everyday snack. Think of it as your like salt and pepper kind of situation. Mm. Um, then we got trip and truffle parm. It is a vegan parm. We did want to make all of our snacks vegan. Um, and actually, surprisingly, the vegan parm, you wouldn't know it. <laughs> I yeah. think if you were just tasting it, you wouldn't know it was vegan parm. It's a yeast extract based parm. It basically tastes like truffle parm french fries. <gasps> it is that kind of crispy, crunchy texture like a fry. And then finally, we have our obligatory spicy flavor. That's called Twisted Thai Chili. Mm. It is a kind of more more smoky spicy. And it, it is, we want it to be deliberate in making a flavor that was actually spicy. Because you see a lot of snacks that are spicy flavor, but then you try them and they're not spicy at all. And I, I, I think, I don't have a cute high, super high spice tolerance, but I, I would say maybe it's slightly higher than average. Um, and, and so we did want to actually make it spicy, but I remember when we were developing that flavor, there was a few iterations in the beginning that were actually too spicy. So we have actually toned it down, but it is noticeably more spicy than, you know, your kind of everyday spicy flavor from like a more mainstream brand. Mm. Yeah. But I bet it's the kind of spicy that you eat it, you drink something and then you want to keep going back for exactly. For it kind more. of dissipates. So it, it isn't one of those things where like a one of those ghost peppers where you won't feel your tongue for a week or anything like that. It's kind of like it hits you and then you drink some water and you'll be fine. Oh, I love that. So now did, was there any other mushrooms you guys considered other than shiitakes or did you go with shiitakes because they're the meatiest and that's just, they dehydrated, they crisped up better. Was there any other contenders? Yeah, there were a couple of others and we were kind of surprised. I mean, that we ended up with shiitake because actually in raw cooked form, I wouldn't say actually that shiitakes are, are one of my favorite mushrooms. I mean, I'll eat them, but there's other mushrooms I prefer. What do you um, prefer? So, oh, do you tell? Cooked yeah, mushrooms, I, I like tell me. Yeah, I like maitake mushrooms. Mm. I think morels are pretty good too. I actually really like even just normal portobello type mushrooms or portobello larger guys. Yeah. as well um shiitakes i think raw or kind of cooked are a bit too meaty almost for me 
uh, if they're chopped up and in a veggie burger, I like them, but kind of just eating them as like a mushroom, it's yeah. almost like too much. Um, so it's really funny actually how it ended up that when cooked in this way that we process our snacks, we use a unique cooking method called vacuum frying, which um, oh. not to be overly scientific here, but basically yeah. what it is, is it's a kind of a healthier way to cook. So it's a lower pressure, lower temperature fry, essentially. So it uses less oil and allows the whatever you're cooking to retain more of its nutrients and texture and flavor as well. Mm. But it results in this crispy texture without a lot of the health consequences that traditional frying or traditional cooking might cause because it's such low temperature. It does require super specialized equipment, though. So it's not something you can do at home. It's not no, like, but this is fascinating. This is the yeah, first time I've ever heard of vacuum frying because there's another technique. It's this not vacuum frying, but it's done in a lot of Indonesian cooking where you submerge, you start with cold oil and you fry something in cold oil and you bring it up to temperature, but you put everything in the cold oil and then you you heat it up and fry yeah, it. Actually, that that sounds similar, except this is done on with higher technology or yeah, but in a vacuum. Method. In a environment, vacuum yeah, chamber where everything's naturally colder, and so kind of similar. I think you would you would maybe get similar effects if you were to do that. Actually, yeah. So, so yeah, I guess people at home you can just boil a cold thing of oil yeah. and start dipping stuff in it. I guess. Yeah, um, you can. I, I mean, idea. Yeah. yeah, it's an Indonesian method for sure, um, and yeah. done in and Malaysian stuff. Frying, yeah, vacuum frying is mostly an Asian cooking mm-hmm. technique as well. It does require specialized equipment. It's not something that exists in at-home form yeah it's like industrial size equipment and i don't know if any listeners happen to be familiar with oil and gas production i am in my past life i guess um having invested in some oil and gas type companies but it's kind of like in oil and gas production or kind of like those large water tanks you see that is kind of how large that equipment is to vacuum so it's very large equipment um, very specialized equipment. And for the most part, it doesn't really exist outside of Asia. Mm. Um, yeah. So that's why we haven't heard of it, but it's actually very common in certain Asian countries. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay. So, but what were the other mushrooms that were contenders for Papadelics? Yeah. I mean, we definitely wanted to try, you know, normal white button, also known as portobello mushrooms, just because they were easily easy to source. Yeah, that and blew my mind I when actually, I found that out. When I when I found out a white yeah. button mushroom was the exact same thing as a portobello mushroom, my mind was, was blown. Blown. I didn't yeah. I didn't know that either because in my head they look different. <laughs> they do. They and did you know that the bell pepper is all the same? The red, the yellow, and the green bell pepper are all the same bell pepper. What do they do? Fruit coloring? <laughs> no, no. It's just how they get ripe. So oh. the, the green oh, bell so pepper is not as ripe yeah. as a yellow, which yeah. is not as ripe as a red. Okay. Yeah. I think I might've read something like that, but yeah, I still don't know if I believe it. <laughs> I know it's the same thing with the stuff. mushroom, the white button mushroom is the beginning. And then the baby Bella is later. The, the cremini like the mushroom is yeah. the middle one. And then the portobello is the big one. It's all the same mushroom. You just let it grow. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy how much marketing can change your perception of things. I totally thought they were different things. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So white button mushroom, keep going. Yeah. So basically white button mushrooms. I think we might've even tried some variation of morels. We did Ooh, try different- That would be an expensive snack. Those are expensive though, but then we tried different cooking methods as well. So we, we explored air fried mushrooms, mm-hmm. for example. Um, I think it was, yeah, it was mainly just dried, air fried and vacuum fried. Yeah. And we were really going off of what tasted the best. And yeah. 
For whatever reason, the shiitake mushroom vacuum fried tasted by far the best. It had the best texture, best flavor. Interestingly awesome. enough, the white button mushrooms had a really strange aftertaste to them. Really? You wouldn't think so because they, they don't taste they like no much. taste. Yeah. yeah. They're like, yeah. So, they're so bland. It was, bitter. it was like a bitter aftertaste too, which I wouldn't ex- have expected. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was really, I guess it's one of those food science things you never know until you process. Something. Love science. I love yeah. science and I love food and I love the two of them together. I think it's fascinating. The R&D it process is, is fascinating. fascinating. I'm sure there's some compound that when introduced to heat or air or whatever happens yeah. that causes the bitterness. But yeah, you don't think of mushrooms as being bitter. So no. yeah, really odd. that's awesome. So where do you, like, obviously you use a lot of mushrooms. Where do you harvest them? How are they harvested? Where do you grow them? Yeah. So we currently source our mushrooms from China. We do use a domestic intermediary to help us do so. So there's a uh, big import export company. They're actually based out in Atlanta. Um, they do a lot of sourcing out of Asia. So that includes China, India, mm-hmm. Southeast Asia, etc. Um, and so we get our mushrooms from them, but to us, we're just getting them out of Atlanta, I guess. Yeah. Um, but they are ultimately coming from China and they're vacuum fried already when we get them. Oh, cool. And then they all go to our co-packer in Chicago where that's where we season and package everything. So we do separately have our seasoning blends that are coming out of Ohio um, and everything's then being processed and packaged in oh, in Chicago. And we hope to eventually, uh, we do want to onshore the mushroom production, but to be able to produce something that's kind of accessible in price to the end consumer, it just isn't viable right now. It's really interesting. We learned a lot of interesting tidbits about the mushroom growing industry domestically, but for whatever reason, the domestic U.S. mushroom market or mushroom growing market is very underdeveloped Mm. or underinvested in. And so it's still very manual here today. So it requires Mm -hmm. hands basically. And labor here is, of course, much more expensive than it is overseas. Um, But that's also in comparison in Europe, where mushroom cultivation is much more technologically advanced. In Europe, there's much more automation. There's been much more investment in automated machinery and harvesting and all of that, that for whatever reason hasn't been done here in the U.S. And part of that is because a lot of the mushroom farms here are family owned and they maybe didn't want to take the risk of buying, you know, $2 million automation uh, equipment or whatever it might be. So it's interesting, though, because because of that, though, that almost all of the mushrooms being produced domestically are white button mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And so the only shiitake being produced are for mainly high end restaurants. And mm-hmm. so it's very expensive to buy raw shiitake mushrooms domestically. And oh, yeah. That, yeah. And on top of that, there are no vacuum fryers really in the United States. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a few, so actually Terra chips are vacuum fried. Mm. So they're probably the only large, maybe recognizable company that uses vacuum frying in the West. Again, so- probably an Asian subsidiary company, which uses Terra chips way more than the U.S. would ever consume them. Correct. What do you mean? Uh, like meaning like uh, the taro chip is very popular in uh Asian countries. Oh, yeah, taro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah taro. The, the brand taro. Oh, taro. I thought you said taro chips. Taro, yeah, taro chips. chips are yeah. Taro chips are vacuum fried though. Yeah. Oh really? I, I'm pretty sure most of them are. Um, hmm. But yeah, uh, taro chips also vacuum fries their chips. So if you've oh, ever okay. had taro chips, that maybe gives you a good idea of the texture. Of our Those are have. crispy. They're delicious. Yeah, it is very and they're uh, not greasy. Crispy. 
Yeah, exactly. They're not because actually because of vacuum frying, how it works, it doesn't have the ingredient absorb as much oil. Um, but but yeah, I was on a tangent there. But basically, no, I love your tangent. Company, that was fascinating. Yeah, Keep going. It is really interesting. We were fascinated by it too. So are <laughs> the basically the only company that domestically that vacuum fries is Terra Chips and. Uh, unless we're doing huge volumes, we, we actually approach them like, Hey, can you help us vacuum fry? And they're like, unless you're doing, you know, astronomical volume, like we just can't take you yeah. on or it doesn't make sense for us to take you on. Um, and so that was kind of thrown out the window. And so it was kind of two up two problems, right? We couldn't get domestic mushrooms at a reasonable price without, you know, a bag of snacks causing costing 50 bucks a bag, oh. which is kind of just out of reach for people. Yeah. Right? Um, on top of there not being a way to produce it either. So those two things combined made it such that we do at least right now have to source our mushrooms pre-vacuum fried out of China. Uh, we think in the near term, there could be a possibility to start at least getting it closer to us because that has caused kind of delays, right? When we're having to wait for shipping all the way from China that we could find maybe uh, someone to do it for us in maybe South America, for example, mm-hmm. or even the Caribbean. So I think there is the possibility to hopefully get closer, um, a supply chain that's a bit closer to us, um, especially as kind of the global climate gets more uncertain and um, shipping doesn't seem to be improving in terms of uh, all the supply chain issues that everyone's still going through. Yeah. And I think what other people, what people may or may not realize is there's like the shiitake mushrooms that we get here in the U.S. in bulk um, or not even in bulk. I mean, there's a grower in Rhode Island that I can get it in a local grocery store. They're very expensive, but they tend to be a little on the thinner side and um, they're not, they're meaty, but they're not like the shiitake mushrooms that you have in your package that you're getting from Asia. I know those there. I go to Asian grocery stores. I'm very familiar with Asian cuisine and Asian cooking. And those shiitake mushrooms are even meatier and they're like little plump nuggets of delicious. They are, they're much bigger too. They're much Yeah, exactly. And like, uh, they're so common and they're so popular in throughout the Asian culture and in Asian cooking and all different types of Asian cooking. And so I can understand why it's so much easier to get them from China because they're mass consumed on the daily in everything in Asia. Like it's just here in the U S we just don't, I don't think even regular mushrooms people consume nearly as they are not nearly as adventurous as even in Europe. Like you were just saying, like, you know, Europe, you've got chanterelles, morels, uh, the list can go on and on and on of just beautiful mushrooms that are made in Asia. You've got oyster mushrooms, you've got lion's manes, you've got, I mean, like there's so many beautiful mushrooms out there that people in the U S are like, Mm-mm. but they just don't know about them. It's actually really interesting because when we do product sampling or product demos or even just if we mm-hmm. you know, go somewhere um people a lot of people don't realize that there are different types of mushrooms yeah. even here because it, typically you only see white button mushrooms in the grocery store so even me growing up here right like i di- wouldn't have really known that there was this whole universe of possible mushroom mushrooms. types yeah. and there, because you only see the white button mushroom or portobello i mean you think they're different things even i guess but, <laughs> same um, mushroom, yeah. but they're, they're actually still the same ones so um, yep. but yeah, it was really interesting because um, and maybe we can even talk about our branding a little bit. But, Please. You know, a lot of people, when they think of mushrooms, more so than they think first to psilocybin than they do to even portobello, interestingly yep. enough. So 
I remember when I first started the company. So I had some friends who completely understood what I was talking about. Uh, but I had other friends who said, who thought I was starting like a CBD, like a, you know, like a actual. You're moving science. to Colorado and where it's legal yeah. to microdose and uh, you're going exactly. to start. Exactly. thought yeah. I was starting like a microdosing snack or whatever. And, <laughs> uh, and it's funny because some people, they, they, that, they didn't give me that sense at first, but then when they started spreading the word, I started getting people coming to me being like, oh yeah, you're that microdosing entrepreneur. I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> not <laughs> yet. Close. close, not yet. Yeah, that's right. Not yet. Um, but it's interesting because um, that goes with our branding too. I think in some ways we wanted to bring that dynamic to the forefront. We kind of, we wanted to be a bit edgy from that yeah. aspect, but we also wanted to nod to the fact that when people think of mushrooms, right, they think of kind of the seventies. <laughs> Yeah, they think of, yeah, they think of, you know, psychedelic shrooms uh, or psilocybin. And so our branding kind of speaks to that or kind of nods to that. And I I did mention earlier, but we do have a charitable foundation. So we do actually support indirectly research into the use of psilocybin to treat mental health. And that is actually a very big space on its own right now. Um, And and so we do have an indirect uh, connection to that. So it's not like our branding is out of left field either, but it's kind of bringing people kind of to challenge their conceptions about mushrooms a little bit too. And also to get people curious, because I feel like because mushrooms are not common or not as broadly eaten domestically than they are in maybe some other countries, um, a lot of people, when they think of mushrooms, they, you know, they're, they're not immediately excited <laughs> to yeah. put it lightly, basically. And so we wanted visually to have something that at least got people curious. So, you know, people are, are naturally curious when they see bright colors and, you know, fun looking things. And maybe if something maybe looks like it could be um, psychedelic or whatever, but just fun. Um, and, and so even if you didn't like mushrooms, if you saw our product and you saw our branding, you'd be like, huh, what is that? So that would at least take you to the next step to try it. So for example, when we do live events, a lot of people will come to our booth or you know, wherever we're stationed and it's because they saw the bright colors. We're like, I guess we're more similar to flies than we, we think. We're attracted to bright colors. But, I know, um, right? but yeah, so people will come to our booth just because they saw the colors and the branding. And even if they thought it was something it wasn't, then they are at least there. And then they try the product and they, they still say like, wow, this is amazing. So it's kind of like incentivizing people or kind of subconsciously driving people to try something that they at the face of it might not necessarily want to or think they want to. Yeah, I think that's great. And I was actually going to ask you, I'm so glad you mentioned the um, charitable organization. Do you want to mention them by name, who who you, who you it is? Just because for- Yeah, yeah. Marco. So um, our our foundation that we actually started at the same time as our corporate entity, Fungal Snacks, and actually maybe two seconds on Fungal Snacks as a corporate entity. So I know we've been talking all about papadelics and mushrooms, but there are so many other vegetables that even though, mushrooms aren't a vegetable but you, you get my drift there's so many other vegetables that haven't had their time in the limelight because i mean there's so much more to life than potatoes or kale or whatever else that's been overdone 10 million times uh, but you see the same vegetables being made in the snacks on the grocery store shelves or even online um and there's so much more to the world than that so when we were conceptualizing what ultimately became papadelics we kind of thought uh all sorts of other types of vegetables that could make great snacks too. And so this is more of like our grand master plan, but obviously we're very focused on papadelics today. 
Uh, we do hope to kind of create snacks out of other what we call underloved veggies. Ooh. So we're kind of like championing like the underdog a little bit, right? There's so many other vegetables that I think a lot of other vegetables when vacuum fried could actually be very, very tasty. So yeah, it um, sounds like anything that. vacuum fried and put seasoning on it is going to be damn tasty. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So please continue. Um, yeah, exactly. I think more, yeah, people have better be bringing vacuum frying as a method here soon <laughs> or if they don't you are you're, you're <laughs> gonna do it it's gonna be fantastic yeah we will have in-house production with vacuum frying for everyone yeah for, yeah, yeah that's also part of our master plan um but yeah so anyway our ultimate goal is to also have different other different brands maybe focus on other underloved veggies with papadelics maybe serving as like the first test case or example or whatever um and so yeah that's our ultimate goal and so because of that we do also have a charitable foundation we started called fungal snacks foundation uh, when we started the company, it was also very important for us to have some sort of social impact angle. And so we do eventually look to Fungal Snacks Foundation as being kind of a broad charitable organization that supports all sorts of different causes that are related to health and wellness. So it could be food insecurity, um, you know, developing new innovative foods. So there's a lot of actually innovation being done on kind of lab-grown meat, for example, a kind of more sustainable food. Um, kind of food sustainability broadly. Uh, but as part of that too, I think one of the first causes that we identified was the Johns Hopkins Center for Psychedelic and Consciousness Research. They were the first academic institution to do research on using psilocybin to treat mental health. So things like addiction and um, PTSD and that sort of thing. And so that's, there's a lot of other uh, kind of academic institutions that are also now doing that work, but they were the first um, and so that was kind of one of the first causes, so to speak, or organizations that we identified as making a lot of sense for us, the foundation anyway, to support. Um, and so a portion of all proceeds of all Papadelics, but also all future snacks that we, brands that we hope to develop, will go towards supporting our foundation, which in turn then supports uh, a variety of different causes, similar to the Johns Hopkins Institution, but also perhaps others, again, focus on food and health and wellness broadly. So, I think that's yeah. wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. And um, if anyone is curious about psilocybin and microdosing and any of that, I will link to the John Hopkins organization in the show notes, as well as uh, Michael Poland has written a great book on it. And I can link to that as uh, as well if you're curious about that. So I have a couple of listener questions. Would you like to dive into them? briefly yeah i love listener questions <clears throat> all right anna from instagram writes i love the name of your company how did you come up with it i wish i could take full credit for it but <laughs> we did actually use an amazing marketing and branding agency called fresh made they're a boutique agency focused on basically natural or better for you food broadly including produce um, based out of florida we actually found them on google so when we were looking for marketing agencies but when we spoke to them and we spoke to, I think, countless marketing and branding agencies, they, they just seemed to get our vision the best. And we did actually evaluate several product names. And we really settled on Papadelics, one, because it's unique. And actually, interestingly enough, it is a word. It's oh, really? Dictionary. I think it was used by Billboard magazine at one point. And so then it got added to the dictionary. But it basically means of the likeness of a pop star. Oh, yeah, so it was used in some music article at some point. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah but anyway, so it is actually a word, but um, we kind of like, you know, kind of conveys the kind of the pop of flavor that you get when eating our snacks. But it also kind of, again, nods to, you know, psychedelics, groovy, 
you know, kind of fits our visual branding. Totally. I love it. Absolutely love it. Genevieve in Maine writes, I'm new to your snacks. Are they vegan? Are they gluten-free? I haven't seen them in my local stores. Do you ship? We do. First of all, we do ship. I think right now, because we are so new, papadelics.com, so that's P-O-P-A-D-L-I-C-S.com, is the best place in terms of ordering. We do ship to all 50 states. Unfortunately, not international quite yet. Actually, we have a lot of people from Canada kind of mm-hmm. wanting to eat our snacks. Unfortunately, we don't ship to Canada quite yet, but um, our snacks are all vegan. They're also all gluten-free. Um, they're not certified, but we do have kind of legal attestations from all of our suppliers. All the base ingredients are indeed vegan, gluten-free and non-GMO actually. Awesome. Awesome. Are they organic? The mushrooms? No, they are not. So, uh, or they're not certified organic. Um, but Good. they are technically organic in the sense that they are cultivated in the traditional way. So they're grown on blocks. I think there's, um, again, this goes into some of the paperwork that some of these certifying bodies oh, require. It's, it's big. Yeah, yeah. It's a nightmare. It's, it's kind of like a, like an administrative nightmare sometimes, but apparently it's just very hard to certify mushrooms as organic because they're kind of, they're not grown the same way that things are grown out of seeds. Mm-hmm. So because of that, it's a bit harder to get through that process and so actually very few mushrooms are able to be certified organic so it's not that they're not organic that's very interesting yeah but they so, but a they, lot they of these workers in the sense that they're not there's no preservatives or anything like that or you know i don't yeah. think such thing as fertilizer for mushrooms just because of how they're grown it, it doesn't exactly even scientifically i think work but Mm. Um, so they are cultivated naturally. We do, we are coming out with a new iteration of our product that does have actually everything else is organic. So all the seasonings we use are organic. Very cool. That is, that's really fascinating. I was talking to someone earlier this year about coffee and coffee growers and how a lot of coffee growers are technically organic, but because especially the smaller ones can't afford all of the certifications and they're hopes expensive. you have to jump through, yeah. they're so expensive. And like, these, some of these growers are teeny, teeny, tiny in South America compared to like huge multi-billion dollar coffee growers, but technically they are like sustainable, organic, all of the buzzwords, but it's all like you were saying earlier, marketing, it's all marketing and it's, and it's expensive. And it's a lot of them are buzzwords depending on like, you know, it's the same thing with free range versus a lot of of these words i kind of don't even know what they mean anymore but at least in my head organic means that there's no pesticides or there's no like additives being used in the growing process yeah Um, fingers crossed in as natural of a way as possible yeah that's and that's why we pay so much more (laughs) i agree with you jonah from instagram writes i'm a huge fan of papadelics and love the spicy flavor do you have any other products or flavors coming out please keep making them they are delicious first of all thank you (laughs) i think we love hearing that um, also super curious to hear where people find out about us just because we're so new. I think it's, mm-hmm. you know, so flattering to hear that we already have fans just because literally I feel like we started a company like yesterday. Totally. <laughs> I mean, it's only been like six months. So I think it's amazing that people have already kind of found us and started following our journey. Um, so super cool. Continue following us. Um, but actually in terms of other flavors, I think what could be cool, I think we're very focused on what we currently have, but what could be cool in the near future or maybe future in general is a sweet flavor. Ooh. So all the flavors are savory right now. Um, but kind of the texture lends itself well to maybe eventually having a sweet flavor there. I think we talked about chocolate covered or like cinnamon spice or pumpkin spice. You Ooh. Know? Yeah. 
yeah like sweet and salty even too like something yeah, sweet and salty yeah yum oh i can't wait for that okay i asked this to everyone um what are you currently making at home right now in terms of food yeah like what are you excited about cooking right now is there an ingredient you fell in love with and this is the way you love to make it is there something yummy you're gonna make this weekend I know you both. That's a great question. Can, yeah, I'm not a you, big cook. So I think <laughs> you said in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So living in New York City. But I mean, there was a period and I I guess I don't do it as much anymore because I've gotten back to my normal routine. But when I was cooking a lot during the depths of COVID, um, I really perfected this one. I think I use it for both pumpkin bread and banana bread, mm. but I got a really good sweet bread recipe that I've really perfected. And actually, my secret ingredient that I will now share with the world, and I don't think it's that secret because someone else told it to me. But if you want your bread or your kind of your dessert bread, like a pumpkin bread or a banana bread to be very kind of a dense, soft texture and not too dry, applesauce is kind of the key. Ooh, it is. Yeah. And That's yeah, so plain, plain uh, unsweetened applesauce actually probably works the best. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and actually the original recipe I had, I think I, I think I more than doubled the amount of applesauce and that was a sweet spot. So use a ton of applesauce in your, in your bread mixes. Uh, Cause that's, I think you could probably even use it in a savory bread. I think it would just give it a really nice, I agree. Uh, dense, kind of more hearty texture. So yeah, that's I'm awesome. A fan of applesauce. Applesauce it is. I love it. Okay. How can people find you? How can they get a hold of you? Where can they follow you? Yeah. So I think everything's centralized kind of on our website. So I mentioned earlier, that's popadelics.com, P-O-P-A-D-E-L-I-C-S. We do have a store locator on there, so we are slowly getting into stores. We're not in any big chains yet, keyword yet. <laughs> um, and so, you know, right now we're in a few independent stores around the country. So if you go on our website, there is a store locator that we update pretty regularly. Um, and if there's any, you know, people who are interested in ordering just to their home, um, we do ship, again, nationwide to all 50 states. You can order off our website. We are also on Amazon and a few other online retailers as well. Um, depending on where you where else you might also order stuff online from um so yeah i think other than that you can follow us on in particular on instagram uh we also have a tiktok facebook linkedin twitter kind of all over the place all online. of the all of the things yeah yeah, yeah. i love it we, uh, yeah. we do a good amount of in-person events at least in new york city so if anyone's located in new york city especially we do a lot of live sampling events at some of our partner retailers or just general food events in the city and also in la so if you're located in LA, we do occasionally do events out there as well. Hopefully we'll be doing more and more cities in the future as well, but um, hopefully more opportunities for everyone to try the snacks too before they order online or um, more places they could buy it in person. Love that. Okay. And the last question I asked this to everyone, I used to say if COVID wasn't a thing, but the, I mean, take it or leave it. <laughs> if you had all the money in the world, where are you going and what are you eating? I, I've been meaning to, actually, Mike and I have been planning a trip to Japan for a very, very long time. We were actually planning to go the winter of 2020. Obviously, that didn't work out. We were planning mm. it actually back in 2019. So <sighs> then COVID happened. And actually, the country's only just now opening up. I've technically been to Japan because I had like a transfer there in mm. one of the airports, but never been outside, so technically not. <laughs> so I've never really been in Japan before. And it's kind of a place I've always wanted to go. And obviously, I would love to have sushi in Japan. Oh yeah. Proper sushi. Oh yeah. And like all like just really good ramen. And... Yeah. I love all Japanese food actually. Yeah. So even like the Japanese kind of you know fried chicken. Barbecue. All of it. Yeah. The, and if, 
you eat eggs, you have to go to 7-Eleven and get the egg salad sandwich in Japan. It's like, oh, oh it, it I, is know, the- I know there's 7-Eleven. I mean, actually, all of the fast food chains in Japan, I would definitely want to try all their like unique stuff that they have. It yeah. just looks so much better than whatever we have here. The egg salad sandwich in a 7-Eleven in Japan will change your life. I'm, I'm not like kidding. Salad. I feel like I don't eat it too much, but yes, yeah, it's, it's made of... with Japanese milk bread, and that special oh, Japanese milk bread is the, actually the best oh, thing ever. So fucking good, they, and it's made I don't with know that they use applesauce. No, they probably don't. <laughs> that like the special Japanese mayo, the QEP, QEP. I forget what yeah, it's Q- called. QPI. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's so so fucking good. You have to eat it for me. Marilyn, it was so nice chatting with you. Such a pleasure getting to know you. Thank you again for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks again for having me. This was super fun. Anytime, sister. I'll see you soon. Take care. Thanks, you too. All right, bye. Marilyn, thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week. It was such a pleasure to chat with you and to eat your delicious papadelic snacks. Again, this is not a sponsored podcast. I just like their snacks and they are wonderful people. So it was a really fun conversation to have. I will link all of Marilyn's information in the show notes. Go to my website for everything, elizabethrfuller.com. And if you've got questions for the podcast, shoot me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. And of course, tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. All right, you guys, thanks for listening. It was fun while it lasted. And now on to making some yummy food this weekend, leading with kindness. And I'll see you next Friday. Bye.